Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations all across the country, helping to translate vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate the, the comments and the questions and the emails that we get following each of the podcast episodes. Um, that's really gratifying for me, and I, I always love hearing from folks. Today, we're going to be talking about major gifts for your nonprofit. And with that conversation, I'm pleased to welcome a friend of mine uh, from here in Louisville, where I am as well, Brian Wells. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Rick. I'm very pleased and honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Brian, for those listening on the podcast, tell us a little bit about your background and in, in work in the nonprofit community. Absolutely. I have been working in nonprofit development for more than 20 years. I actually started in an administrative position at, uh, in a major gifts office at Mile High United Way uh, at the turn of the millennium uh, back in 1998. And I, uh, through that, I found the nonprofit sector and uh, a way to turn your daily labor into sustenance for yourself, but also an improvement in the community. Uh, and I've really enjoyed it ever since. Since then, I have worked in development offices um, through a number of different kinds of organizations with different foci, everything from health and human services, national um, medical or health-related nonprofits. Uh, I spent more than a decade in the museum world. I've worked with national conservation nonprofits. Uh, and uh, yeah, now I am an independent professional here in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, the wonderful thing about a nonprofit development is there are all kinds of organizations that uh, need development uh, assistance and, and uh, the services that, that non-development professionals provide. And you can slot into organizations of your choosing and the fields of your choosing. Uh, so it's, I would, if people are interested in it, I would recommend pursuing it, particularly if you're interested in exploring a lot of different types of organizations. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to become, you know, uh, a development officer or a membership officer for a museum than it is to become a curator, for example. Uh, so it's a great way to, to, to join organizations that you may not have thought of otherwise. So Brian, obviously you're the perfect guest for us to, to be talking major gifts with today because of your vast experience in the development world. I just want to, at the outset, just let's define for folks, when we talk about major gifts, that means something very different for each individual organization. But some of us have, or some people have preconceived notions of what a major gift is or should be. So when we talk about major gifts for nonprofits, how do you process that definition or that understanding in your own mind? Uh, on, in my mind, when someone says major gift, I think of a six-figure gift of a minimum of $100,000, obviously, to be given uh, up to the course of three, you know, maybe given immediately or over the course of three years, perhaps five years. And that definition can encompass more things, uh, depending on how flexible you want to be. But really, it's talking about substantial support within a certain time frame. We, those amendations that we make, uh, change it necessarily from a major gift to strategic gifts, uh, but they go hand in hand. And sometimes the way to larger numbers is frequently through something that is more strategic. 
that may require patience, but is more rewarding on the other side. Right. And I think that's a good point is that we should be flexible in our thinking about major gifts. So if I'm a, if I'm a small one person nonprofit, what may be a major or transformational gift from my organization may be very different than some of the museums that you've worked with in the past. So I think that it's important for each nonprofit and every nonprofit leader that's listening to think about if you're, if you're considering launching a major gifts effort or major gifts program, what does that mean for you? How do you put some framework or definition around that? I absolutely concur. And stipulating that for some organizations, you know, major gift numbers may vary, but really organizationally, it's about asking people to step up, to give, um, to give more than they've given before and to do so in ways, you know, this is one aspect of, of where no set number applies, but we are reflecting the generosity of the donor back to them and saying, this is a major gift because of the impact it had on our, our organization, whether that's $100,000, $200,000, $25,000. You know, it's about the impact, but it's also about the feeling that the donor gets. Um, Two other things I heard you mention there that I think are really important to point out is that a lot of times we think about major gifts in terms of cash only, right? But I heard you say that a major gift can take a number of different forms. It may be stock, it may be land or securities, it may be um, something more tangible. Um, so it, it, I guess, am I hearing that correctly, that when you think of major gifts, you're thinking more broadly than just a cash infusion for an organization? Absolutely. You would, if you limit yourself only to cash, uh, your universe of, of, of potential givers and your results are going to be narrowed um, because you're going to be going to people and posing these asks in terms of cash. And that limits their thinking in terms of how they can give as well. So there, there are two aspects of it. Um, one, I think in terms of limiting potential, this is just a reminder, I think everyone's heard this, but uh, most uh, most high net worth individuals keep only around 10% of their um, their total value uh, at a given time in liquid assets. Um, so the more flexible you are in terms of meeting the donor where they are and where they can give, the more successful you will be. Um, and to me, that's a bit like solving a puzzle. It's like, you know, how get, getting them excited about the organization, getting them very focused on making a particular kind of difference at a particular you know, range of value and then working with them. Um, uh, and it requires bravery on everyone's part uh, about how they can get there. Uh, and someone may say, well, I, I can't only, I really can't give you more than $25,000 over the next three years, but uh, I am expecting, uh, you know, a gift of appreciated stock, or I have uh, this life insurance policy, or X asset, or this property that we don't use anymore, this home, the second home uh, that we're, we increasingly can't make time for. Uh, and all of those things can be pieces of getting a donor who is, you know, a, a, a substantial supporter and excited, but may not have thought of ways to take that next step. Right. So the first thing I heard you say was being flexible in terms of the type of gift. The second thing I heard you say is timing. 
a lot of times when we think about gifts and we think about fundraising, understandably, we're focused in the moment. We're focused in the now. What I heard you say is that sometimes approaching a major gift or approaching a donor and thinking about it as a longer term proposition or paid out over a certain number of years also opens additional doors in that donor's mind of how they can make an impact on the organization and the mission. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, reflecting that that you are meeting them where they are and want to make their gift happen for them, right? And if that means extending that time frame to three years to five years, then uh, I say thank you very much. That's that's wonderful. And, and knowing that that uh, a yes with a continuation is not always the end of the conversation. If uh, and this has happened in the past. You've had someone who's committed to to making a multi-year gift, uh, and their financial position improves by dint of stock market performance or liquidity event, and they are suddenly very happy to uh, kind of conclude that gift early. Uh, and that doesn't mean that's the end of that gift. That means that you can thank them for that full amount, of course, and start the conversation on the next gift. And um, yeah, so if if it helps you to get to yes, uh, then I think it's worth doing and knowing that it's not worth the that's not the end of the conversation. I think we all want to make sure that there are no or we're not building silos in our nonprofit organization. So another thing I'm hearing you say is the importance of integrating your efforts in major gifts with other aspects of your ongoing fundraising and development for the organization, whether that be annual fund, annual appeal, planned giving, legacy giving, that major gifts is a, is a piece of a puzzle that works in conjunction with the other pieces of the puzzle, not a, not a distinct uh, or, or unique silo that doesn't communicate with the other parts of your development operation. Exactly. Um, I have in the past thought of, you know, um, uh, gosh, uh, this this reminds me of uh, of a quote. I think it's uh, Lindfuss. Uh, the um, money is like water; it's only healthy when it flows, right? And I, I think of of uh, philanthropy and actually giving programs is that you've kind of got these rivers of philanthropy that run through communities and you're giving pro you're giving a program kind of will match the strata of a, a waterway in some ways you know you, you've uh, you've got this kind of top churning flow that is rapid <laughs> lots of motion at the top of it and then deeper more substantial currents and then larger pools below you that you may not be able to see and uh, a good giving program is one that can cover a lot of depths that can, that can ex, you know, maybe have an annual giving program that captures people who are, you know, really into your organization and very passionate about it, but they're giving at $100 a year, you know, 250 up, you know, up to X thousands, uh, whatever they can afford. And you're reflecting back to them the uh, fantastic, you know, nature of their generosity, you're, you're being uh, as excited in your graciousness as they were in their giving. Uh, meanwhile, you are kind of uh, fine tuning your engagement of them and your communications to give them their due, but then also spend more time 
uh, with people that you suspect of having uh, greater resources of making larger differences and encouraging those relationships with more personalized communications, greater face-to-face -face time, and uh, really building rapport with them to explore what that is. And then you're bringing all of the facets and tools of development to bear on that. Um, that includes your team at your organization, the leadership should be involved in major gifts, your board, um, if you have a culture of board involvement with philanthropy, and I hope that you do, uh, should definitely be involved in, in major gifts. Uh, and then of course, it could also be part of your plan giving or uh, other kinds of, of giving mechanisms. Uh, remember an important part of, of success, I think is the capacity as we've been alluding to, to accept blended gifts. A cash component um, uh, that is given over a period of time or given immediately, plus uh, a promise or uh, actually a bequest or some other kind of gift that will be realized later, whether that is a bequest or uh, a gift of perhaps a life insurance policy. Um, you can then recognize the donor for um, you know, their commitment uh, you know, and you still have money coming in to support operations or whatever project that is this is focused on. But more importantly, you have a kind of knowledge of what's coming in the future, even if not a particular date. So it's, it really is, um, it's, it's a gift, helps now, but it's also a gift to your future self. <laughs> Understood. So if I'm a nonprofit leader and, and, I act, I'm actively fundraising, my board actively fundraises, but we've never had a major gifts effort or program per se. What are some of the, th the questions I should be asking myself and my board, some of the things that I should be thinking through in order to make that, begin that transition and set myself and my organization up for success? Uh, I think there are a couple of, of good questions or good lines of thought which is uh, one of them is, you tend to get lost in the weeds and non, or it's easy to get lost in operational weeds in the nonprofit world. Um, and we eat, breathe and speak the mission so frequently, but it, it's a good check in terms of asking, how are we asking our supporters? What are we asking them for? And then how do we, differentiate if we if we want a difference in what we receive and what we raise we should have a difference in what we ask and and that is not simply coming to someone and asking for their annual support you're making it clear that what you want to do something uh, larger more impactful and their gift their their perhaps more complex or more ambitious gift is a crucial part of that, and how do we get there? So you're you're you should do uh, as a first step a kind of inventory of what is working in your development program, and also where you might be kind of self limited. So look at your gift policies, uh, ask your board. Um, you know, if you do not have the expertise of of thinking you're able to accept a gift of property, for example, what do you need to get there? Is, is this some, is this some um, expertise that you could recruit into your organization, either at a staff level or as a volunteer and make that a priority for your board development person? 
um, which is probably you too, but <laughs> or you're part of that team. Uh, so it's it's just what you can't think of is that it's it's all on your shoulders uh, because if you do, then you will just limit yourself to what you can do and what have always done and what you have a, a time budget for. Um, you know, if this is something that can be fit into, gosh, this person mentioned that they, you know, this donor mentioned that they have a stake, they have an ownership stake in a company. They don't use the income from it is, you know, could, is that something, is that an asset that could be turned into a gift that could then be realized and, and liquidated on our behalf? And what do we need? So as a major gifts officer, I mean, and there's some really unique listening skills that I think are probably critical to success there. But for a nonprofit leader that hasn't undertaken this effort in the past and maybe thinking, how do I get started or how do I look at my existing pool of donors and supporters and know who might be a good candidate for one of these transformational conversations, one of these conversations about a longer term or legacy type gift. Um, how do you, or what are some of the things that you're looking for as a major gifts officer or thinking through when you think about who might be a, a, an appropriate person to have this conversation with? Uh, absolutely, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, really I'm looking, one of the first lenses I look through is, you know, who, is, who are some of our most engaged donors, regardless of what they've given? You know, if I'm in, in frequent contact with them uh, or they are showing up at events or always there, that's, you know, one of the predicates of this kind of giving is high engagement and a philanthropic desire. And you know, they're aligned with the mission and what you're doing. So, you know, I find them the easiest and most forthcoming about what they want to do. They also will be the folks that uh, will kind of say, well, I would love to do that, but, and, you know, provide you with a kind of limiting aspect of it. But that may be a function of them not being experienced in giving, um, uh, giving in other ways. In other words, they may not think of other things, uh, you know, their other assets as something that, that uh, could be part of a gift. And, you know, because you are so familiar with them, uh, and the rapport is close, those are much easier conversations to have. Um, you're right, it requires active listening. And so I, I think with other folks that may not be as forthcoming, you, know, you don't see quite as frequently, uh, it requires a bit more of a canny ear, uh, you know, if, uh, and a little bit of detective work uh, that is sometimes slightly uncomfortable, <laughs> but you've got to be very, you know, you're just asking because you're interested. You have to be sleuthy is what I hear you saying. Exactly. And and don't feel bad about it. You're doing your job and uh, and you have the polish to, to you know, the, to make this part of the vacation, you know, the conversation rather. And I was slipping into the idea of vacation because, you know, frequently um, turn that August slowdown <laughs> into a, a cause for conversation and a conversation in September when you're asking, well, I'm sorry, we haven't seen each other. Where did you go? Did you travel this summer? Where did you go? And kind of learn more about them. And if they're saying, oh, we have a house in Breckenridge, then, well, tell me, tell me about that. What do you enjoy about that? And how often do you go there? Oh, not so much anymore. 
and, and really kind of, or we have a cabin at the lake at Lake Michigan or something, you know, you, know, you start to put other aspects to their life together uh, that really could could inform their that one your your ideas about, about capacity and two assets. I love what you said about starting with those who have been most engaged with your organization. I think the temptation sometimes is to think about who's given the most in the past, uh, but by starting with those who have been the most engaged. Just a quick story: the first major gift I ever received in the nonprofit organization I was leading. Uh, came from a donor who had given us a hundred dollars a month. That was that was that was their gift. Every month they showed up with a check for a hundred dollars. They gave it uh, graciously and and lovingly because they cared about the mission. And eventually that turned into our organization's first major gift. It didn't come from a donor who had made a ten thousand dollar gift or a twenty five thousand dollar gift in the past. Um, it came from someone who was just extremely passionate about the mission and repetitively engaged in who we were and what we were doing. So I think that's great advice for nonprofit leaders to take. Absolutely. And this includes volunteers. Right. Um, if they're giving their time, there was, uh, when I was at the Chrysler Museum, uh, uh, a, we lost a, a docent, a woman who was a teacher who, who gave generously of her time. I think her uh, annual membership level was around $150 for years and years and years. Uh, but she gave, she showed up for every tour. She was um, just uh, indefatigable in terms of, of her level of energy for touring school kids. Um, and uh, after she had passed away and the estate settled, this was not something that we were aware of. She never notified us, but she left the museum uh, a high six-figure gift. Uh, and she never had the resources to give that kind of cash uh, during her lifetime, but she had uh, a Tiacraft account set up when the getting was good. <laughs> you, know, you, know, the, uh, you know, it's like planting trees. The best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago. The second best time is today. And that's the same thing with conversations about uh, and building rapport with your donors. Um, start with the engaged folks, the people who have been showing up, who had that seed planted X years ago um, and move out from there. Brian, I do, I do a lot of work with boards and a lot, of, a lot of conversations and board retreats and discussions and workshops, um, not only around board governance, but also around board effectiveness when it comes to fundraising. And I just mm -hmm. wanna follow up on something I heard you say a few minutes ago. And one of the things I, I talk to boards about when we're talking about fundraising is one of the most important skills you can develop to be a more effective board member in fundraising is how to manage fear and rejection. The most successful fundraisers I've ever been around hear no an awful lot, right? Sometimes it's like baseball, right? If you are successful, you're hearing yes or you're successful three out of every 10 times. And I think as board members, as nonprofit leaders, sometimes there's an element of grace and permission that that um, rejection is not failure, right? Rejection. And I think that that carries through in major gifts as well, because I imagine you're not always going to hear a yes when you have conversations with donors. That is absolutely correct. Um, and I think this needs to be carried on further. Rejection is not failure. It is part of a process. No is not the last word, right? They're still going to take your call don't ask them about the thing that you just talked about, but move on in the conversation. No, 
uh, could be from a, uh, it, you have no actual idea why they're saying no in most cases, right? Is it not because the, uh, and that's that could be a data point. Maybe it is not aligning up with their philanthropic vision. Something is askew in that project or, or cause or that capacity or that timing. It, they could the emotional weather on an individual, I swear to goodness, has a lot to do with, with what happens in an ask. And you can't take that personally. Don't internalize that personally. Don't dwell on it. And then uh, if they're worth the candle, keep them engaged and keep going. On the other side of that, uh, I, I would say that people have to be aware of, uh, uh, of maintaining a healthy waterway, as we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, keep people engaged, but if, if you're not having a lot of success with them, if you've had 10 approaches and over a number of years with someone, and it's not, it's not really paying off for you, your time as either a board member or a staff person should, you should be confident in taking them off of one list and putting them on another, and maybe even moving them off of lists entirely. Um, I, I, I cannot, uh, tell you the number of times. I mean, everyone dreads that that development meeting where it's just the list uh, of the names. And it, you can do yourself a huge favor by making sure that list is short, those names change, and you have focused conversations, and it's not the same one over and over again. That was a mistake that I made early in my career, where, you know, just because you only know a limited number of folks with evident resources, um, you're going to increase the number of, of pointless no's. <laughs> uh, because no, uh, as you say, is, is not a failure. It's part of a process. And in order to make that work, you have to then ask questions of, of what happened, you know, regroup after an ask in the meeting and say, what did we learn from this if we didn't get a gift? And what do we think is next for this donor? How can we continue with that? And and then you have positive action items from that. And that takes some of the sting of, of that meeting away for everybody. And you all get to hash out that like, well, we, we now have a better approach and we're gonna get this or we're, you know, we're gonna get this eventually or we're gonna fine tune this and I, you can bring it into alignment, but it's, it's not gonna happen the first time. And like, like I said, if you never hear no, you're not asking enough. You know, you're, you're just not getting out enough. Brian, I think you've given everyone listening some really good and tangible practical tips um, when it comes to major gifts. Some of the takeaways that I, I'm having from the conversation are around broadening our thinking of the types of gifts that count as major gifts, our time frame, major gifts as a component of an overall holistic relationship that we have with our donors, our volunteers, and our supporters. So I think there's some really actionable, really um, insightful thoughts that you shared with, with folks today. For those who want more information or who may want to reach out or connect with you directly, how can folks get in touch with you directly? Absolutely. Uh, people may reach out to me uh, via email at wellsby, W-E-L-L-S-B at gmail.com, or I'm also on LinkedIn. So Brian Wells, Louisville, Kentucky. Excellent. Brian, I appreciate you taking the time 
to join us today. For those of you who are listening today, whether you're a nonprofit, um, whether you are, are, are looking for a partner in strategic planning, in board development, in guidance, Nielsen Training and Consulting can be your partner to help translate your vision into reality. Brian, thank you for taking the time to join us today. I hope everybody listening, stay safe, stay well, and we look forward to coming back with more episodes in the future. Thank you.